Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, again on page 713. The text reads, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The word of the Lord. I'm grateful to be back uh, with you, and it looks like a few of us are on summer vacation or headed to the Cape for 4th of July, and uh, maybe they're tuning in through the live feed. We're grateful if they are, but uh, otherwise we wish them that they'd have a a restful time, and I'm grateful that all of you are here. Uh, I'm also just grateful to be back from paternity leave. Uh, I had a week of vacation and two weeks of paternity, and just an exciting time to bring Elijah to church. Church, so he's he's with Monica back there. So if you want to say hi afterwards, please do so. Uh, Elijah would love to see you. I'm sure he will remember your name uh, if you introduce yourself. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for. The Gospel of Luke, and that we get to dive back in. I I know we had some great messages while I was away. Thank you for Andy and Bernie and Terry preaching. I'm so grateful for them uh, for this. Uh, But I'm excited I get to be back here and and get to dive into your word. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me uh, to your people, to our ears and our minds and our hearts. Would you open us up to hear your message to us? Because we need to hear from you. Uh, You give us life. Uh, And to be in relationship with you is eternal life. So help us receive that this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. And this this chapter, this story kind of reminded me of something called a bait and switch. Now many of us may have experienced a bait and switch at some point in our life. And I wanted to tell you a little bit of a story of one that I experienced. So... In college, I commuted to uh, the school. I went to Colorado State University, and I commuted from my home for the the first semester. And I was walking back to my car, and there was a flyer underneath my windshield wiper, just like this picture. There was a a flyer there, and I picked up the flyer, and it said, free pizza. I was like, ah, I love free pizza. Who wouldn't love free pizza? I am a a poor college male student. Uh, This is just speaking right to my heart. And I I, I looked at the flyer, I looked at the handout, and I looked at it very carefully. And it didn't say who was giving the pizza. It didn't say why I was going to receive the free pizza. It just said, come to this place. I assume it was like a Domino's. 
come to Domino's at, between this time and this time, and you will receive a free pizza. And so I went. And I'm going to tell you more about that story as we go through this sermon, so you're going to have to pay attention. But there was a promise, right? There was a promise. There was an extension. All you have to do is this, and there's this free gift, right? And I want to bring a message that's similar, but also a clarification about Christianity. See, Christianity says salvation is free. The gospel tells us that we are saved by God's grace through faith, and this is absolutely true. Salvation is free. And I want to I go through uh, the book of Romans, actually, and present to you a little bit of the gospel, because I have never just like mapped out step by step the salvation gift that God offers us. And I think Romans, maybe you've heard of the Romans Road of Salvation. It's a, it's a good way to kind of explain the basics of Christianity, the, the basics of free salvation offered to us. And so we're going to go through Romans, then I'm going to come back to Luke. But right now we're just looking at like a, a, medical, a metaphorical flyer, or a, uh, this imaginary flyer that we're encountering, encountering in the Gospels. We're encountering if, if Jesus were to hand you a flyer with his message on it, and it said free salvation, I think he might begin with Romans 3.23, which tells us that everyone is broken by sin. So Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is broken by sin. The gospel means good news, but before we get to the good news, we often have to start with the bad news. What's the bad news? That sin is real. Now, sin is any time we disobey God in our, our heart, our thought, our minds. Any time we are not directed, directing our lives towards God's perfect will, towards his, uh, towards his commandments, towards his, his teaching, any time that we're living our life apart from God, that is sin. And so, as we all know, like sin is everywhere. We're, we're constantly living our lives differently than God would have us. Because of that, we're falling short of God's glory. See, God lives in perfect glory, perfection. So this creates a problem, right? We're sinful, broken human beings. God is perfect. He's holy. He's sinless. Heaven is where God is. Like, how do I get to heaven if I'm sinful and I am broken? I can't. This is the, the beginning of the message of Christianity. We need to go to God and be in his presence, but we can't because of sin. But thankfully, the message doesn't stop there. Well, it gets a little worse before it gets better. So everyone is broken by sin. The wages of sin is death. And we look at Romans 6.23. We're going to look at just the first half. For the wages of sin is death. Death is an eternal separation from God's love, from God's grace. See, if I, if I continue down this road, if I, if I keep going down this path, of living my life my way, uh, choosing sin instead of choosing God, or if I just even ignore God and kind of live without actively choosing sin, I'm still walking in sin, that's going to lead to death. So that's the bad news. But gospel means good news, and so there's good news, and we actually see the good news in the second half of this verse, that God offers us eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, this is a pretty plain Christian good gospel message, and we find this in the second half of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we don't have to perish in our sin. We don't have to die in our sin. We don't have to be eternally separated from God and from his love. We can deal with our sin problem. We can be forgiven. We can receive the gift of eternal life. To have eternal life is to be in relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and and to experience the joy that God offers us and to, to, to truly live as God intended. This is what eternal life is. Now, how do we receive this? Romans 5, 8 tells us this. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we started with sin. Consequences of sin is death. There's good news. There's eternal salvation. Eternal life is offered us. How can we receive it? Romans 5, 8, through Christ Jesus. Through what he did on the cross. See, Jesus is God, and just like God, he is perfectly innocent. He's holy, he's good, and he came and he lived a perfect life. Now, that does not mean that Jesus was like fabulously wealthy (laughs) or that he had lots of power and was very successful. This is actually just the opposite. He lived a humble life, an obedient life. He never sinned once. His, His heart was always aligned with God's heart. Who of us can say that my heart is always aligned with God's heart? Jesus' heart was always obedient, always trusting, always good. And because of this, Jesus could go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, if we were to stand before God today, apart from Jesus, and say, you know, I want to get into heaven, he'd say, well, what are you going to do with your sins? What are you going to do with this sin problem? Your good works don't erase your, your bad deeds. Like, if I've been good for like a year, I cannot go knock off a mini-mart. Like, it's just not acceptable. You can't do bad things because you've done a whole bunch of good things. You still have to deal with those bad things. And so each one of us would have to pay for our own sins. I'd have to pay for my sin. You'd have to pay for your sin, and you would pay for it with eternal death. But Christ doesn't have that problem. Christ isn't marred by sin. He isn't bent towards sin. And so he can actually pay the penalty for our sins, he can say, I'll take their sins upon myself, and I will die on the cross. I will die as an, an innocent lamb. I will be the sacrifice. So this is really good news, but how do we get that sacrifice on our account? Like, how can I, how can I receive the benefit of what Christ has done? Well, Jesus grants salvation to all who believe in him, all who are repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Christ Jesus. And then we come to Romans 10, 9 through 10, which we read in the service. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now the focus on this passage is belief. It's faith. And it's faith that is both internal but also expressed externally. A faith that says, I believe. I believe not just anything I want. I believe in Jesus. I'm putting all my chips on him. And I believe in Jesus alone. There's no other name but Jesus Christ. This is really good news. Okay, so I can be saved. I can experience the gift of eternal life. I can be forgiven for my sins by placing my faith and my hope and my trust in Christ Jesus. 
The gospel doesn't even stop there, though, because it says our salvation is assured. I mean, you receive the free gift of salvation. We find this in Romans as well. We're going to go to Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. In other words, if you are saved, you cannot lose salvation. Christ has you. (laughs) He will never let you go. This is a pretty good handout. Like, if I received the handout with all this information, I would want to pay attention. (laughs) This is why many people use the Roman's road to salvation as a way to explain the gospel. If you want to share the gospel, the news of salvation with someone, I encourage you to review these verses. I'm going to post this slide set on the website with my sermon. But you can also Google just the Romans Road to Salvation. I did that. It took me to gotquestions.org, which is where I got many of these Bible references. But they also gave uh, this prayer of conversion, right? Because if you believe all this, you need to commit and, and to To say a prayer, many of you are familiar with the sinner's prayer of conversion. So here's the sinner's prayer that that if you want to receive the gift of salvation and be forgiven for your sins, pray. But don't just like repeat these words. (laughs) This is not a, a magical incantation that if you just speak them, you're like good to go. It needs to be accompanied by true faith. God, I know that I have sinned against you and am deserving of punishment. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith in him I could be forgiven. With your help, I place my trust in you for salvation. Thank you for your wonderful grace and forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. Amen. I think this is a good prayer. This is a good way to to begin a life of salvation, a, a life of following Christ. But sometimes we hear a message that says, you know, if you believe these things and if you say this prayer, then you're good to go. Like, nothing about you has to change. Nothing, you don't have to do anything else. Like, just say the prayer and you're good to go. And that's just the front half of the flyer. See, there's a back half. And we're going to find in Luke chapter 14. That explains that, yes, we are saved by grace alone. We are saved through faith alone. Ephesians talks about being saved through our faith in Christ Jesus. But those things, grace and faith, they're never alone. They're always accompanied by a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. A life of following Christ Jesus. A life of counting the cost of saying, my life is going to change. I am going to be different because I trust Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus and the Holy Spirit work in me to change me. See, faith is not a one-time act. It is a lifetime of, of choosing to believe. And so this is, this is where Romans takes us. Maybe you're wondering, well, what happened with your story, Jonathan? What happened the offer of free pizza. I was going to put a picture of pizza on the screen, but Angela informed me that she would think about pizza instead of my sermon, so I decided, you know, I'm just going to have the picture of the flyers up. So I went to the, 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 the pizza uh, joint, and I, you know, I, I, 
parked my car, I walked into the Domino's, and there was a man standing there, and he had a big stack of pizzas, cardboard boxes full of like these, I don't know, medium-sized pizzas, and there were some people behind the counter. Uh, but there wasn't really anyone else there. Now, this happened about 10 years ago, but if I remember right, he looked a little nervous, and he looked a little guilty. <laughs> a little nervous and a little guilty. And I went up, I talked to him, and he said, yeah, this is the place. You've come to the right place. There's pizza. All you have to do is fill out this, this, this white you know, piece of paper, this form, uh, for a credit card. It's a credit card application. So if you will fill out this credit card application, we will give you the pizza. And I wish that that had been on the flyer. It was not on the flyer. And so what I did is I said, sir, that is a, a lie. That is a bad thing. I walked out the door and I went home. Is what I wish that I had done. <laughs> so I was like, well... I want some pizza. And so I filled out the credit card application and I got the pizza and it didn't taste very good, I'm sure. It's probably the cheapest pizza they could buy. So I got the credit card, but it was a bit of a bait and switch, right? Salvation is free, but there's more to it than that. Salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything. Salvation is free, but it'll cost you Everything. This is my big idea, and this really brings us to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 14, 25 through 35. So I'm trying to kind of preach with the, 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 the big themes of the Bible in mind. I want us to focus now on Jesus, because we're turning the flyer around, and we're seeing what Jesus expects of us. Okay, so we're called to repent. Well, what does a life of repentance look like? We're called to believe and to trust, but like to really trust, what does that mean? So Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Let's just begin with the first verse. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. Now Jesus is, is going to shock the crowd. See, Jesus is not into big crowds. He doesn't say, wow, I have, I have amassed a large following. Therefore, I must be a successful minister. If you look earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus feeds about 5,000 men. That means there was probably women and children accompanying him, them as well. So it was a, a big crowd. Can you imagine that? Like if 5,000 people showed up at church one weekend, like that would be pretty exciting. You guys would think I was a pretty good pastor, right? <laughs> well, Jesus doesn't measure success that way. He is not interested in large crowds. He is interested in true followers. He's interested in true disciples. And so he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is using a metaphor here. He's, he's speaking kind of in a way so as to jar us. He wants to jar the crowd. He wants to jar us today. I don't think he actually means you must literally hate your mom and your dad in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus talks about loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. Maybe some of you feel like you have a sibling or, or a, a, a relative who feels more like one of those. 
Jesus is interested in us loving them. But he's not interested in us loving them more than him. He wants to be the priority. I must be the priority in your life. If you want to be my disciple, I'm first. (laughs) Jesus doesn't mince words. I have to be first in your life. I have to be more important than your parents, than your spouse, than your children. I have to be more important than you. Well, where was that on the flyer? <laughs> well, it's on the backside. See, Jesus expects to be the Lord of our life. He expects to, to kind of remove every idol. An idol is something that we worship instead of God, anything that we place in priority above him. And we can do that with relations. We can do that with ourselves. And I was thinking about this, like, how, like, what are examples of this? Maybe you have a parent who will give you advice that makes sense according to the world. That's good advice. It's advice that will work. But as you think about it, you realize it doesn't line up with the way of Jesus Christ. It's not biblical advice. Well, that's a decision. Are you going to say, I'm going I'm to do what this person who has a significant influence in my life and who I care about, am I going to do what they tell me to do? Or am I going to do what Christ Jesus says in his word? Well, that's a decision. Are you going to put Christ first or parents first? How about a sibling or a friend? Maybe they say, hey, come on this trip with me. I know you can't afford it, but don't worry about that. We're going to do these things that, you know, are going to bother your heart later. (laughs) You're going to feel guilty about them, but don't worry about that. It'll be a great time. Just come with me. What's an opportunity? Am Am I going to put them first? In my life, or am I going to put Christ Jesus first? How about with children? There are ways that we can elevate children above Christ Jesus. Children often become the most important thing in our lives, even above our marriage. I don't think it's hard to say they can become even more important than our walk with the Lord. My life is no longer defined by the Lord Jesus. My my life is defined by my kids and their schedule. My life is defined by making sure that they're a success, that they get the education that I think they should have and that they get the opportunities that I want them to have. This is not necessarily a bad thing to want good things for your children, but do you see how your children can then become more important than Christ Jesus? that they're directing the course of your life instead of our Lord and Savior? See, these are ways that salvation is free, but it also costs us because <laughs> it challenges us. And it changes us and molds us. I wanted to share a, a personal example of my, uh, my, our own life, the, the Remig family, of how we're kind of wrestling with the cost of being a disciple. Uh, so I, I, I shared about the Gay program a couple weeks ago up at Gordon-Conwell. Well, a, a unique opportunity came to me uh, at the end of June uh, as I was on leave. It said, hey, if you want to, there's this opportunity. It's like this once, once in a, you know, a blue moon opportunity to work on a doctorate of ministry while you're doing the Gay program. Now, a doctorate of ministry does not, like, take you away from the church. <laughs> a doctorate of ministry actually helps you, like, serve and disciple the church. 
your local church that you're already in, but it takes a lot of time, right? Because you have to then read about 3,000 pages per like class time. You have to do a lot of papers, a lot of studying. It takes about three years. And so there's a cost to it, right? There's going to be a cost to family time. There's going to be cost to free time. There's going to be a, a, a cost, I hope not to cornerstone, but you know, there will be other opportunities that I'll say, we're going to focus on this in my area of study instead of other things that we could be doing, other things that I could be leading. And so it's something that we're praying about. I've shared it with the elders, and I'd, I'd just ask you to pray about this cost of being a disciple in mine and Monica and Elijah's life. We want to follow Jesus and obey him and discern, is this Jesus how you're leading? Because we want you to be first in our life. And I share that just because you guys probably each have your own stories, your, your own places, your own examples of how Jesus is calling you to be obedient to him. I hope that you will count the cost. See, salvation is free, but it, it's not meant to just be like a stamp on our passport. <laughs> It's meant to, to move us, to guide us, to lead our lives. Salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Now, Jesus uses a couple illustrations here to, to examine what he's saying. He's already talked about the family and the cross, and now he's going to talk first about a tower. Count the cost of what it will take to be faithful to the end. Verses 28 through 30 say, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So I'm, I'm trying to finish my basement, and when you pull a permit with the town, you have to give a cost estimate. And Jesus is saying in the same, same way back then, estimate what this is going to cost in your life to see if you can finish the job, see if you're really interested in following me. Is this just a, like a one-time emotional thing? Yes, I want to receive salvation. I want to be forgiven. But tomorrow morning, I'm back to doing my own thing. Jesus is interested in a lifetime commitment. <laughs> We don't want Jesus to just save us for like one day. All right, you're saved for one day. And then go back into uh, unrepentant sin. And we want to be saved for eternity. It's assured, it's a gift for eternity, but it means following Christ uh, throughout our life and not just on one day. So count the cost of what it will take to be faithful to the end. And then Jesus uses an illustration of a war, a battle. Count the cost of surrendering all to King Jesus, verses 31 through 33. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. In this illustration, a, a king is being forced into battle, right? He is not choosing to go out to battle. Uh, another king is coming at him. Now, if we look in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks all about the kingdom of God. And he is that king. He says the kingdom is coming. See, Jesus and his kingdom is coming into a the lives of his hearers, and he's coming into our lives, what are we going to do? Are we going to surrender? Are we going to 
Are we going to set up our siege works? <laughs> Jesus calls us to surrender every part of us to him and to his kingdom, to let him rule every aspect of our life. Jesus, would you rule my relationships with my parents? Would you rule my relationship with my spouse, with my children? Would they define this? Jesus, would you rule my career and my job? Jesus, would you rule my politics and the things I believe about other people? Jesus, would you rule my past, my present, my future? Would you rule how I spend my free time? Would you rule how I, 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 my entertainment choices? Would you rule my, the time that I spend with friends or choosing not to? Would you rule uh, the way that I live on my block and in my neighborhood? Would you rule every aspect of our life, of my life? So often we have this tendency to view like Jesus is like this, this we have a castle, <laughs> we have a fortress, it, we have all these different aspects of our life, and we're like, yeah, Jesus, I'll give you like the drawbridge, <laughs> and I'll give you the stable. You can rule over the drawbridge, <laughs> drawbridge and the stable, uh, those things that I'm willing to, like you can, my forgiveness, you can forgive me of my sins. You know, I went through a, a rough streak when I was a teenager. You can forgive and rule that, but but no, you can't rule my family today. You can't rule my schedule. Like you can't rule the actual place where I rule because I'm not going to get off my throne. <laughs> if Jesus is the king who's going to come and save you, he expects total and complete surrender of every aspect of your life. And so often we can't see where we haven't surrendered. And this is why we need brothers and sisters in our life who we can go to and say, do you see places that I'm not surrendering to Jesus? Help me see my blind spots. This is why we're in a church. This is why we have brothers and sisters in Christ because we want to surrender every aspect of our lives. The third illustration that Jesus uses, that of seasoning, of salt, it says, a non-committal disciple is a waste of a disciple. This is pretty challenging. Verse 34 through 35. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So salt had a variety of uses in that culture. You could use it to kill weeds. You could use it to uh, kind of provide fertilizer. You could use it just like we use it to, to season food, maybe even to preserve food longer. All these different uses, but if it gets diluted, if other seasoning and other ingredients are, are put in and mixed in it, it, it loses its saltiness. It's interesting that salt in itself can actually not lose its saltiness, but if it's diluted by the world... <laughs> Like, a, like other things are coming into the salt and mixing in with the salt. Doesn't work. Jesus wants followers, he wants Christians, he wants people who say that prayer that are serious about following him. Who see that this is a lifetime commitment. Who see that salvation is free but it will cost you everything. Salvation is free. It completely is, but it'll change every aspect of your life. So salvation isn't cheap. It may be free, but it's not cheap. See, God sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. God had to sacrifice his son to save you. 
But he did that so he could also change you. Jesus paid a steep cost. And when we use salvation as a get-out-of-hell ticket, and that's it, we kind of cheapen what Jesus has done for us. Salvation is free, but it costs. There is a, a steep cost. We are saved by grace through faith. But those things, they're never alone. So my big idea, just kind of the closing, is that salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Jesus calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. Now, I wish I had a, like a clear memory of how the story ended with the credit card. I did receive one in the mail, and I never used it. I cut it up, and at some point I called and canceled it. And so did it do me much good? Probably not. I do have like this vague memory of when I called the lady on the other line saying, like, did someone tell you you could just cancel this credit card as soon as you received it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> the man at the pizza place. See, we want a salvation that changes our lives, that, that, that continues to work in us and, and for us and through us day by day, that provides a continual and ongoing benefit. Maybe you said the prayer, you read the first half of the flyer, and you're like, I'm in. That's good. You've done nothing wrong. But now it's time to turn the flyer over and to see that Jesus is serious about you following him in every aspect of your life. And the good thing is, is that Jesus says, you know, my, my burden is light. Come and follow me. Jesus doesn't just leave us to slug it out. He says, I'm going to walk with you through life. We had a beautiful example with Jenny as she traveled through cancer earlier in the service. I'm going to walk with you through the hard times. But come and follow me in those hard times. Salvation is free but it'll cost you everything. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for salvation. Thank you for eternal life. Help us understand how you want to change every aspect of our life. You're not interested in, in just verbal, verbal affirmation. You're interested in people. Thank you that you do save us and that you set high expectations, and you call us to, to live an obedient life. Help us do that. We know that you will through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this offering that we're about to give. Please use our finances to advance this kingdom, to advance the, the good news of salvation, but also the, the, the total news of followers of Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.